Welcome to this podcast series asking the question, can art save us? I'm starting the first national and international conversation about courage and curiosity. What do these qualities really mean and why does it make a big difference to our mental, societal and democratic health? I talk to award-winning and diverse artists across the arts to explore these qualities in their lives and work, both to inspire and for us all to learn. I'm exploring why we need these qualities to help change the global epidemic of mental illness, loneliness, polarisation of our communities and even global conflict. If the arts cultivate courage and curiosity, I'm asking the question, can art save us? And my guest today is Dr. Marwa al Saborni, an award-winning architect and global thinker, elevating the role architecture has to play in peace to prevent segregation and conflict, but build community cohesion and harmony, however diverse those communities are. She is the author of The Battle for Home and Building for Hope, and both books liberate how we can think about the built environment so that we can all belong without isolation, polarisation and conflict. Marwa has gifted us all of this despite surviving the Syrian war during which her hometown Homs was destroyed and she and her family lived as prisoners for two years with daily threats. Marwa's TED talk has been viewed over one million times and she is considered one of the top 50 thinkers around the world. I can only imagine Mara will be a recipient one day of the Nobel Peace Prize and we already have a lot to thank her for as an architect of hope and peace. So, Mara, what I'm um, wondering today uh, for our listeners is what your architectural view is today. Perhaps you could tell us where you are today and and perhaps what it is you can see. Uh, You mean physically where I'm located? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, um, I'm back home. Uh, I was was traveling uh, during the past month. I, I had uh, two visits to one to the UK and the other one to Holland but now I'm uh, happily back home uh, I am in my city uh, Homs uh, Syria and uh, I'm speaking from my home um, yeah and so I'm, I'm basically inside uh, indoors so not much to see yeah so what would your hopes be in terms of your surroundings in terms of the architecture that surrounds you and of course sadly the changes you've seen through conflicts um Mm. what would you like to see change as as hopefully things recover although i understand you may also think things may even get worse first well obviously i i need i i wish to see my my country rebuilt uh because it's uh, it is still partly in ruined uh, to a very large extent and just you know more than half of the country is destroyed so all the percentages uh, involving housing um, health institutions educational institutions roads infrastructure all the numbers are above 50 percent uh but I, I guess my work focuses on defining uh, in the word rebuilding and in, in what shape and what which form it will take. Uh, and it makes all the difference because uh, 
some rebuildings um, lead to another disasters and, and, and more destructions and others should lead to uh, thriving uh, cities and towns and communities. And unfortunately in the West, our dominant images of Syria are led by the war and urban destruction, but of course, Syria is an agricultural country. And I saw that you spoke about rebuilding the rural life and breaking yeah. a cycle. And I wondered if you could tell us more about that vision, because do you see rebuilding Syria as embracing its rural and agricultural landscape and, and becoming environmentally resilient from that point of view? Well, thank you for this question, because I, I believe it's very important, especially because it involves also not only, you know, uh, the greed of uh, uh, profit and, and, and commercial building, uh, but also uh, the, the, the stereotypes which are mostly Western in, in that sense, because I, I think the Western world um, still believe that, or look, you know, in, in, in one brush, they just, you know, see the Middle East, so-called Middle East, as one place that resembles uh, the dunes and uh, the deserts in the Gulf which couldn't be, you know, further from the truth, but also couldn't be more generalized and, and simplified. Um, Syria is a Mediterranean region, which means that it has arid lands, but also, like I said, it, it's, a, it's a primarily an agricultural land with a history, I mean, very long history in uh, agriculture, especially Syria as part of the Levant and Mesopotamia, uh, actually are the places where agriculture was born you know they thought the technicalities and and so many inventions especially in 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 the area of agriculture but also it's the place where the first alphabet was found the first musical notation was found so it's a land of civilization and and and, and prosperity but i guess it's easier for the west to imagine this place as as a desert because in that sense you wouldn't have to worry about it just you know it's a desert that you know couldn't be couldn't be more destroyed it just you know it's a, there's not nothing much to to worry about or to lament the the loss of it um, um I, I yes like i said i, I believe that the cycle of uh, the cycle of building in a wrong way let's say uh, especially in our country it's it's i think it's a global issue but i think it, in our country also it's the good place to start because the main question when it comes to rebuilding is where we start and the countryside is the place in my view where to start because um, it's it's a, it's also an, an opposite point of view than uh, what uh, what our let's say city makers and and people in power and policy makers see. They wish to like the uh, to wish, wish to like uh, to see Syria as the as uh, as a place uh, depending on tourism and service economy which means that we will become more reliant on uh, on um, on the west uh, and on also on the gulf and and where 
money is and uh, it will mean that we will lead ourselves to more destruction whereas if we focus on the countryside not not as a place of of tourism as a plan but as a place of production self-reliant that means that there is less pressure on our cities there is more balance uh, in our economy and uh, there is more selfish efficient resources as well yeah um you're um really clear on that importance of of balance and and harmony and and really rebuilding harmony as a form of peacekeeping um and even rebuilding hope and of course, it is well reported that there is a global epidemic of mental illness and also loneliness. And I wondered from your point of view, how much of that could be solved, not only by architecture, but also embracing exactly what you're saying in terms of the rural environment. Well, I we are shaped by, as human beings, we are shaped by how things look around us, but also the people are uh, around us and what we do as uh, as vocations, um, uh, as how we contribute to our places. So this interactive relationship between uh, our beings and the way and our places is very important and crucial to 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 my to my work because i think i think when when we think about uh, human settlement in uh, uh, exclusively in in urban terms we are overlooking um other natures for example there are people who are really genuinely interested in 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 being you know embracing ruralism and people who wish to live in the countryside rather than the, the the city but choose to live in urban uh, urban environment because of the economy and because of how cities are creating pressure over the countryside and draining the countryside from from its people so uh, and also aesthetically the way we are um, um, colonizing sometimes the the countryside uh, urbanly is is leading to destruct destruction of of the, the beauty of the place which means that people are less um, inclined to attach themselves to to their places because the the uglification of the environment means that we are losing attachment and losing uh, the threads that connect us with our places which i focus in 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 both of my my books yes and um uglification um is such a good word. And you also talk about inhumane architecture. And I find that um, particularly important in terms of how you can associate that with um, oppressing identity and, and connection. So for example, when we think of a siege, we think of a, a war context, um, cutting off essential supplies, for example, to force a surrender. And, I wondered if you would associate siege to a badly built environment in that it cuts off social connections and forces oppression and cultivates conflict. Well, definitely. I mean, uh, siege, uh, as uh, to use it metaphorically, is, is exactly 
what is what is facing most of the world population at the moment look at the the young generation for example people who are just you know trying to find themselves um, a place to belong to a place to work at to place to contribute to we globally we we look at staggering numbers where people are denied the right to have a home but also physical home. they they don't have um, means of owning a place but also uh, even renting places becoming also a, a challenge but on a deeper level they do not feel that they belong they do not feel that they are needed in their places and that's why you find most of the young are just um, drifting you know from place to place living as modern nomads uh, struggling to find this uh, definition of identity and most importantly the definition of their role in life which is which is a disaster which is leading to 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 many crises as as the violence we are witnessing as the the, the death and destruction around the world absolutely and i I can imagine that um, there may be listeners uh, now who recognize the difficulties uh, this is highlighting in terms of where they live. So for example, listeners may live in tower blocks that suffer isolation or neglected estates, even unwelcome snobbery um, of living in a well-kept village, which in itself can be polarizing and the enormous amount of displaced people. There's a shocking statistic recently reported from the United Nations that the world has surpassed 100 million displaced people, refugees, people that no longer have a home. And from that point of view, it really begs the question, how can we all be empowered to be part of the social outcomes of design that direct our human experience. Well, again, it's it's uh, it's the power of uh, of building of architecture. It's it's how we it, because architecture became a commodity, became a tool of of designing places for for the elite and designing places for for private businesses and 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 touristic city centers where whereas the city i mean before before you know it's it, not before too long it's just you know it, the aftermath of the, of the world war world war one and two and the industrial revolution is just you know it's the turning point when building industry became industry Be before that throughout the histories uh the history of humankind building was you know architecture and building was was used of course to build an image to build a vision for the country to to manifest power but also but most of the buildings where people you know were ordinary people with where the public lived belonged to the people and there was no pressure as as today on on the as a place where all the resources are drained you know they they, they are they come from from 
you know, from, from the countryside, from the suburbs, from every place, and just, you know, flood into this one spot, which became um, a continuous stripe. Now, we, you have distances, long distance, distances to cover, you have um, different city centers, you, ha you don't have one place where one community can live or society that, you know, is, is, is compact in a way that is uh, understandable for the people who live in one place. So it's, it's unrecognized anymore where the, the peripheries are, where the boundaries are. And in that sense, people just struggle to find a place and struggle to find, uh, uh, like I said, a definition of their own role and own identity. And more importantly, they struggle to find means to enter those channels, cha channels in, 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 in economic ways. So it's a constant struggle to try to fit in. And you are always pushed push to, to, to the outside, uh, physically and uh, emotionally and psychologically, which means that you have to vent it somewhere. You, that's why you see all of the stress and anger that is manifesting itself in, in, in the most violent and ugly ways. Yeah, and boundaries um, increasingly seem to be about segregation and forced segregation. And even in the UK, there is a very difficult struggle now between private and public space and the increasing lack of public space where there is perhaps that chance of social connection and, and, and creating meaning and a, and a sense of belonging. And I wondered if, from your point of view, if you even see a link between the loss of public spaces and higher rates of suicide? Well, definitely the loss of, uh, it, 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 I mean, I think it, it's related to the loss of society or community you do, you don't have you don't have a, a, a safe environment anymore in our global city to uh, in exception i mean when rare exceptions where it's a small town and people just you know know them know their neighbors it's it's the loss of neighborliness it's the 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 fact that people are more and more isolated by the fact they live in their uh, encapsulated boxes, uh, physically isolated from others, not encouraged to have relationships with their neighbors. People are no longer know each other. And uh, that means they, they feel the void. There is no, uh, we, we are destroying those safety nets in our uh, urban fabric that we've lost. Uh, those people who were around you, they are not necessarily your immediate family or extended family. They, they, they are their neighbor, your neighbor. And they sometimes, you know, they, they are there for you. But now in our, in our divided cities and isolated neighborhoods uh, we lose this and this means that uh, people are more lonely now and like I said it's, it's more felt among young people because those are the people who are you know they haven't witnessed the the the, the what I call generosity of the city they haven't witnessed 
the place where they felt safe in their own environment. And the, the global epidemic of, of loneliness is, is, is so acute um, and only getting worse, tragically. And you talk about um, the importance of the Syrian spatial, spatial arrangements um, in architecture, which created a constant contact um, between groups of people, however diverse, they were, and you've also referred to a form of an, an a form of Islamic trust that can put a break on the machinery of growth. And I wondered if you could expand on on those ideas, um, just to give some context uh, to the listeners. Definitely. I mean, because um, you know, I was I was analyzing those problems. I was looking at my own city dis destroyed and and that led me to research to do a research about the solution i wanted to find um, some answers of on how we deal with with these growing problems how we put a halt on on what we find uh, sometimes inevitable so you will hear experts saying that uh, people are more inclined to City that by uh, 2050, 75% uh, of the uh, the global population will live in cities, and that means that you have more and more crowded cities. You will have more and more um, uh, extended um, urban stripes, and you will you will lose. Uh, boundaries, you lose communities, you lose neighborliness, and you you just, you know, will as architects and policymakers and urban planners, you just you need to find some tactics to to mitigate those effects, but never to uproot uh, the problem and find a cure to to those problems. And uh, my research led me to to um, two policies actually made uh, in the Islamic history of city planning. And I was fascinated by the results they uh, they met. I mean, in terms of, of the city, uh, this, the uh, the policy of what which translates into endowments of or Islamic uh, trusts, it's it's uh, uh, it's a policy that um, actually created were introduced to, to to the islamic city with islam so since the beginning of islam the the concept of waqf was was there and uh, it's it's actually uh, it's endowing any uh, property so you can you know it doesn't have to be a, a land or, or or you know a build a building it could be any property anything you own you could endow and in that sense you endow it to god so it's a property of god and uh, once it, it's endowed it cannot uh, change function so it's a legacy that uh, that continues over generations and this gives the time which is very crucial concept, you know, the time that you have something that is permanent in time. You have, like, for example, if you endowed a school, this should be as a property should be school 
over you know until eternity it sh it shouldn't be it shouldn't be transformed into uh, a restaurant for example and uh, it's it's um, when it's in doubt to god that means that you do not uh, seek profit from it you only seek maintenance and you only you, you are in the in business of maintaining this uh, this property and maintain the the good and the has a policy as it's, it is in in islamic legislation so they there is uh it's a complete law you know it just you know had so many legislations and so many uh case scenarios where you know what if this happened there is this um solution or this is this is the way forward and this means that the islamic city was preserved in, in throughout the, the the centuries that's why you see so many different styles living side by side and you had um, it's exactly what you need uh, as breaks on the cycle uh, endless cycle of growth it's a place it's 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 a place frozen sometimes in in time but it continues to give good and uh, this means that you you do not put a halt on progress you do not put a halt on on uh, uh, on growth you have a break that slows down the motion in in the best way forward it really sounds like a deep respect what you've described that idea of a school remains a school, for example, it doesn't become a restaurant. There's a real respect for the purpose of a place and what that permanent heritage is. And it does seem respect is very absent from a lot of our lives. Um, and that's reflected in, in terms of how we live and, and where we live. And you also seem to describe a really important power shift um, I really like that idea of attributing ownership only to God, for example, as opposed to a powerful commercial business developer. Would you say that's a really important leveller as a way of returning to more harmonious communities? Definitely. And the proof is, I mean, when, when uh, the Islamic regions were colonized, for example, uh, they were divided between the French and the Brits. So you, one of the main policies uh, those colonizer, uh, colonizers changed was the waqf. So it gives you, I mean, uh, gives you um, uh, 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 an insight about the intention of, of, the, of those colonizers but also the importance of what and how threatening it is to commercial business um, business in terms of you know capitalizing uh, a whole country or a whole region uh, again i mean uh, i should make it clear i'm not anti-capitalist uh, so it's just uh, because uh, islamic um, economy uh, has traits of both uh, capitalism and socialism it's it's a mix of the two and i think it's a, it's a very interesting economy to look at 
but to get back to 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 the point here is that it, the wakf policy was changed in syria for example by the french it was transformed immediately from civil uh, um, property or civil institution into an administrative ministry which immediately made it you know lose cause cause and be prone to corruption and to become just you know a nominal uh, uh ministry it has uh, one of the most corrupt ministries by the way uh, at the moment because it's just you know it had lost sight it's really interesting when you um uh, mentioned, um, you know, that you're not saying you're anti-capitalist, for example, because I, I read that recently you said, I'm not liberal, I'm not conservative, I'm just Muslim. And I was really interested in, in what that was in response to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, because um, again, the the Islamic culture and definitely the Islamic legislation is 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 um, is not you know binary as the 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 Western conception of those policies. It's just you know it's some it's somewhere in between. It's it's an, it's a middle ground that have um, that have you know traits of of this and that. But the mix is very interesting, and the result is 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 on ground is is also uh, some something to do research more research on because it has proven to uh, allow communities and, and and civilizations to thrive it's just you know of course as as any as any law it's pro, it's it's um, uh, you know it, it 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 can get you know um, it has in terms of application because humans actually apply this law that means that there are moments uh, uh, in history where this was corrupted but that doesn't take away uh, any uh, of the the uh, the brilliance actually of the actual law so if we if we should separate by the way between the the experience as applied by humans and and, and the law as you know as something that is the uh, legislated and, and something that is, you know, uh, as a material in itself. So because sometimes you hear people missing the two, you, you hear people, you know, saying, well, there will, there were times that things weren't perfect. Of course, they weren't perfect because people applied those policies. And that means that there were misappliance, you know, sometimes they, they made errors and that led to uh, um, wrongs and errors on ground but when you study those policies and study those laws you will see that they only lead to good results and it's those good results that we need to to revisit and and embrace again when i looked at all of the uh powerful and, and important values that your your research and writing has raised I wondered if you had to summarize the role of architecture in a really almost brutal way, in a really basic way, could you say that world architecture currently is either building tolerance or terror? Well, I think, I mean, uh, I would like to avoid the binary here again, because um, when it comes especially to architecture you have um 
it's it's an human it's a human endeavor so you have errors and you have also good results and that means as experience uh you could you could find you could find the pros and you could find the cons but i guess when we discuss the principle or the vision behind any creation that when we can get you know really binary we can we can speak in black and white then uh so in principle when you build for vanity when you build for for um i would like to say money but i'm um, also, I want to be avoid to to be misinterpreted here because uh, money is important and economy is important. But when it's the sole goal, when you build, uh, you know, it's like the trade of money. When you build uh, primarily to for for profit, and you overlook uh, and lose sight of the end goal, which is building for people, that means that you will end up with a product and i think the premise of building as a product is 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 something that is that leads to terror whereas when you when you when you build for for the human being when you build that if, even when you want the human being to thrive when you want the economy of the human to thrive as well but the human being is at the center of your experience, I think that's when you will end up uh, uh, building it for tolerance, to use your terms. Thank you. That that's that's a really uh, interesting way of, of being able to to view both of those those terms. I'm really interested in the role of curiosity in your work uh, from two points of view, whether your own research and writing is, is a pathway of your, your own curiosity. And in terms of architecture, supporting curiosity from the point of view of openness, that design can enable access and integration and in effect, a form of openness and curiosity. Well, I mean, definitely. I mean, it's, it's curiosity is is our only way of, of learning. So if you are not curious, you don't ask questions and you don't uh, exper experiment and in, in, in results, you don't, you don't learn. Uh, so in my own research, just um, since I was I was in college uh, studying for for architecture, I was I was really curious to know why we are learning uh, about um, modern buildings and uh, Western creations and never asking about uh, our own environment. We haven't in any course, uh, except uh, uh, architectural history, touch upon uh, we build, uh, what are uh, the more important buildings in our city, in our country, uh, why we build this way, uh, what kind of style do we have, what kind of um, identity um, do we have? In what way should we build as, as for example, Assyrians in the 21st century? All of these questions, you know, were out of question. They were just, you know, they were uh, something that we didn't discuss as students and something that our teachers and our uh, courses uh, haven't touched upon. Um, that's why I decided to continue my higher education and 
find out uh, for myself. I just, you know, I uh, um, studied for my MA and for my PhD, and those were the subjects that I studied about. I, I, I investigated the uh, localism and, and globalization. I investigated the stereotyping Islamic architecture, and uh, I wondered why, why is it that we see, for example, is that Sanches and 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 minarets, which which also I mean gave me so much insight about my own history and and uh, and uh, understanding of my own identity as well. Because uh, um, the, the 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 conclusion was that uh, no Islamic architecture is not about those elements, and in so many instances and and over so many centuries, uh, it didn't have those elements. And that meant and it, it's a whole nother conversation. Uh, but uh, it's about curiosity, as you, as you said. So um, in terms of in terms of how architecture enables this curiosity, it's exactly it's exactly what I also uh, write about when I write about uh, the generous city, because the generous city is about exchange and it's about giving and taking instead of just, you know, just giving, uh, defining uh, generosity in, in terms of exchange means that means that you are, when a place allows you and when a place welcomes your contribution, is is uh, it is when you when you call this place a generous place and in that sense it satisfies your curiosity it also sometimes it should um it should enable your curiosity it should you know drive you to to meet the other and and to see other people and to get introduced to uh people who you just you know might might otherwise you know think uh, in more alienating uh, terms as we see in, in so many divided and segregated cities globally and it's interesting that you um recognize curiosity in terms of asking questions the importance of asking questions and i wondered if you see that as part of empowerment it's a way of how we can empower ourselves um but it seems to be something that's almost disappearing that there is such a lot of disempowerment being able to ask questions about how we live and where we live being able to influence the decisions about how we live and where we live what's your view on empowerment in terms of how we need to be able to all ask questions well i think oh i think i understand asking questions in in relation to listening rather to to empowerment in that sense i think uh, uh because you know um allowing yourself to ask questions means that you are interested in hearing the answer whereas in 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 so many instances uh in our modern times now we jump to conclusions and we have so much so we are very we tend to be very satisfied with the answers we already have or think we have and uh, 
it's it's the antithesis of listening. It's it's uh, and it leads to you know lack of interest in in asking the questions. Uh, if I don't want to, if if I think I know you, that means I don't want to ask you questions, and I I'm not interested in 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 listening to you. So your PhD, of course, was um, a great act of, of research and, and asking questions. But I also read that um, you also found your PhD an epic struggle against petty university bureaucracy. And I was really curious about what that meant, how you responded to it, and, and was it even something you could have abandoned? Well, I think it's it's the saga of, of living in, in in Syria as, as a student as a, and also as a as a member of young generation. Now I'm no longer uh, of that generation. I'm afraid, but I look also at you know young people in generation my children and and people who are a bit older who are unfortunately going through the same uh the same experience they just you know, having to deal with uh with not only bureaucracy but it's also i think it's uh i think with what we are dealing with in our educational system is uh is the fear of knowledge they uh, those who are you know like professors and doctors and and, and administrators who they dedicate their life to disable people from knowledge is because they feel threatened by uh, talent and by accomplishment and they feel very content with with the corrupted system that enabled them to sit there and enjoy uh, the benefits of their laziness. And uh, that what primarily driving so many talents and so many people uh, outside of Syria for generations, even before the war, uh, this frustration we put on this young uh by by creating rigid systems and by creating obstacles and by creating uh unjust situations is what uh driving people to give up and they give up they they do not only give up on their task and and their future they give up on the country and they leave because they think everyone I met said the same phrase, there is no future here. And it's the most cruel thing to do to any human being, uh, most importantly to young people. Yes, and it's, it's an important point you raise in terms of having a voice, um, almost the power struggle between those that want to deny certain voices and, and those that are trying to assert their voices. And I wondered whether you actually face any kind of, of risk for having the voice you have, whether you're seen in some parties as, as a radical voice, as a, as a challenge to 
ideology or, or control, for example, because your emphasis on socially designed architecture is so liberating for so many people. Well, luckily, I haven't I haven't uh, been subject to any, let's say, life threatening uh, experiences. Um, I think, for example, uh, I I tried to teach at a university here in, in in the past year, and it was it was the passive aggressive treatment. You know the, the the trial to sabotage what you do. Uh, I think was the most uh, frustrating thing. It's just you know that, uh, like I said, so many people have been accustomed to to you know be comfortable in their positions out of laziness and because nobody challenges that. Whether um, I'm not interested in challenging that, by the way, by attacking those positions, but only by doing what I think is right. For example, just you know, trying to teach in what in in what I think is is good terms for me and my students is just what I'm interested in. But um, unfortunately, uh, people around you, like your peers, and sometimes people are who are not your peers but in the same field, they will think of this as a threat as a threat to to their own positions because it's uh, it's um, it's something that will in their way show them in a bad light and that means that they were they will do anything to to prevent you from continuing to work and it succeeded i mean <laughs> i no longer work you know it just um um yeah it's counterproductive and i was not able to to pursue that um and it's very frustrating, but it's, um, like I said, it's not life-threatening. I'm really interested, Mara, in where your immense courageousness comes from, your commitment, your persistence, but also to give the listeners context. You know, we've mentioned your studies, your PhD, but in fact, that meant that you were walking to university under the threat of snipers, that you've written your first book during major destruction, where you, your home could potentially have been a direct target. And at one point, even your husband went missing and you have children to protect. Where does your immense courage come from? Well, thank you so much to think this way but um, i i guess um uh there are millions of story literally millions of story like mine i i think i was just blessed and fortunate to uh to have a voice for this experience to be recognized for it but i mean everyone around me was uh, in way way or, or another trying to 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 do something with their lives while being at the risk of losing it and uh they all went on with their own you know work and and and, and life commitment and uh some i mean some had it way harder than than i did. i mean some had family members lost and some had you know 
their their limbs lost and their you know parts of their bodies lost and and the list i mean the list of horror of horrific experiences that happened to the syrian people goes on and on but i guess it's it's uh, it's an I, I think it's a mix of many elements. Uh, the general ones are that it's the, in the nature of 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 those people, of the Syrian people. I, I guess we we do have perseverance, and we do have uh, people who are dedicated to doing something good in their lives. You know, they love to work, and they they are very hardworking people they do more than one job and uh, they are never satisfied without you know doing something with their time and uh i think the the other element is is faith so it's it's believing it's believing that there is a higher power that is looking after you that your destiny is in in those hands and it's it's um it's your time and your effort what you should worry about and not the result is is something that is is very present on a more personal level i think it's uh, uh personally I'm, I'm a person who is motivated by challenge it's it's, it's my it's my own nature and uh, and it's been this way since i was a child i mean um when the going gets tough i i tend to get tougher <laughs> that's all and was there someone who who influenced you or or helped instill that in you when you were growing up a family member a teacher for example well growing up i i grew up in in a house uh, where my parents uh were <laughs> we're in constant uh, conflict, I guess. I, I, I was I was accustomed to war, I guess, since I was a child. So uh, in 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 my household, you now um, I guess it's it was it was really. Uh, uh, I think it's, it was it it was difficult because it's always a conflict that uh, that was happening in between my mother and my father, and they ended up getting a divorce in the end uh but i think this instilled uh some maturity some kind of responsibility that you know prematured uh that would i think what this is what it does for for a first child i was always the eldest among my brothers and brothers and sisters uh but i guess when later in life after i got married i uh, to my to my husband in my early 20s i think he's he's i mean he has so much influence on my uh, on my character he was i guess i could call him my mentor because he just you know he's the most positive supportive person and he's very optimistic it's it's not the way that i was you know raised to it's just you know it's the, i i didn't see the the world the world as he you know from from this positive and always um uh solution prone uh, perspective and he i mean he just you know he was so supportive and and he has i mean there's so much credit that i i wouldn't be able to just give him in, in in one sentence it's a beautiful example isn't it of, of changing conflicts for something better i wondered mara if you're hopeful that we can rebuild hope 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, mean, I am hopeful. I'm not optimistic, though. <laughs> it's, it, it's, uh, there is a slight difference here because um, I guess in our culture, we say uh, our, uh, we ho uh, our hope uh, lies in God. So just, you know, it, the meaning is, I think that because life, life continues and life is in our, I mean, in my belief, predominantly governed by by God, by by this higher power that is looking at us. So I I always and every minute I have hope. But looking at my own country and and, and the world, I, I guess it's a very critical time that we are living in, and we don't have the luxury to relax about it. I think I think we should. We should be on our toes, uh, trying to do good and to to you know um, choose the better option always. And from the point of view of architecture as a way of choosing better options, architecture is a form of art that can build peace and hope. What do you say to the question? of this series, Can Art Save Us? Is it a yes or no question? <laughs> Is it a yes or no question? No, it, it, it's definitely too complex, I think, for a simple yes or yeah. no. But it, and it's a deliberately bold question because it invites so many responses and, and of course, complex layers. But well, I think it definitely plays a, a role. It definitely plays a role, and it's 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 not a you know it's not a marginal role. It's a very critical uh, and fundamental role architecture plays in our lives and in in, in saving us because it is also I mean we can definitely see how it uh, how it you know sabotaged our world. So it definitely, you know, it, it holds the key as well to uh, reverse those uh, bad and negative impacts. And it's our responsibility to see that and to try to, to you know, uh, build another way, basically. Yeah, and in terms of encouraging a collective responsibility, whoever we are and wherever we are, do you have any words of inspiration or, or final thoughts that, that listeners, people in general, could perhaps take away so that we can all be encouraged by the idea of having collective responsibility to make the positive changes we all need to see? Well, I think sometimes, uh, sometimes people are, um, say that they are not architects they you know uh, they would you know hesitate <laughs> to to say their opinion they would say okay perhaps i don't get it perhaps i i what do i know i'm not an architect and i think when it comes to buildings and when it comes to architecture we all have a say about it because it affects our lives it 
it's an invitation to our imagination and it's an invitation to our involvement and it affects every i mean every moment of our lives we we live in buildings we we move around buildings and we use buildings and we are definitely affected by the economy that revolves around and in those buildings so uh i guess we all have to be more bold about it and more educated about it and to ask questions. Yes, perhaps we should all think of ourselves as architects in terms of we are the architects of our own lives, but more importantly, our collective life. Well, um, do I have a moment here to just, you know, slightly disagree and agree? <laughs> yes, of, no, of course, of course. <laughs> Uh, I think it's it's uh, when it comes to architecture. There is this fine line between between our public and uh, uh, you know public contribution and uh, the the expertise of architecture. So I, I I guess what I want to say is sometimes architecture is violated by the fact that it's accessible to everyone and and in that sense we tend to think okay because architecture is public and because it affects the public and should revolve around public so why do we need architects in the first place uh and i think this is where where we should be mindful because um architects have you know in terms of training they are trained to uh to detect beauty and to do to balance you know create the balance i mean it's it's key in our training to find the balance between what is practical and in what is beautiful uh, or aesthetically pleasing and in that sense it's a very it's a very fine craft it's a very um uh, it's a very uh, complicated also uh, uh job and some and it it involves so many factors and uh, the architecture uh, architect's mind should you know involve so many factors in within the same formula and to come up with the balanced answer is is the key to good architecture and it's something i don't think that anyone can do i think only good architects <laughs> can do but it's also a uh, the end result, the building, is something that uh, the public have a response to, and they should have, um, uh, you know, a say about it. But uh, I don't think, you know, I, I think again we should have the balance, find this balance between the experts' role and the public role, and to find this right place for conversation, so we end up with the with what you know with the good result we're, we're seeking yes so i wondered if if that if that refers to the dynamic that you speak of um you've talked about um the islamic ascetic on beauty as more of a dynamic i wondered if you could elaborate on that idea for us what I mean about uh, by dynamic here, I I think it's it's the fact that we should involve um, uh, the understanding of of economy, uh, 
here because it's you know sometimes you see buildings that cost fortune and you know they would be uh dependent on when read the story behind the building they would be dependent on uh, on public funds and public money and sometimes you know colonized money or you know in in history you know colonized money or slave market or and and so on and i guess what i mean by by dynamic here is what is the story behind the building what kind of what kind of cycle it promotes what kind of because again buildings need money to be built and they produce money after they are built and also they need maintenance and 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 they and they function so that means they consume uh again consume money and in that sense there is a cycle there's an economic cycle uh that revolves uh, and involves the building and what i mean by dynamic beauty here is what kind of cycle this build, building involved and to be give you a specific example here uh, uh for a building for example uh, let's give a simple example here is a building built by um by a building company or does it involve you know workers and when it comes to uh for example the the old cities or you know traditional cities uh they are always built by workers there is no one company that could build uh, a traditional city or old city because it, there are many ages of buildings there are different um uh, typologies in those uh so it, it's not mass produced it's never mass produced and in that sense it involves uh, a network of workers and that means that you have a, a variant uh, actors in the economic cycle and this means that the good is distributed and there is you know the, there is a whole cycle that i i discuss in in, in my second book, building for hope uh about this but when it's a, a single company that is that is responsible for mass producing you know units use the, the word units it, it means that you have only employees in that company and the company is the capital and it's one actor single uh like linear linear uh economy that comes out of that building so that's the difference i guess in syria for example even uh when it came to modern uh, building block we didn't have building companies until this day we don't have you know major building companies responsible for for building uh you know uh, an entire block or something although we are witnessing the creation of those company companies which is what worries me that we are you know um, preparing for reconstruction in that in those terms and the argument is okay look at the west and because they always always look at the west look at the west they use the same technique they have the same mechanics they have uh you know they are uh and word as well <laughs> which annoys me they are more civilized this is the civilized way as if you know as if using workers is is uncivilized and uh yeah i i guess this is my biggest worry that we will come and this is what i write about it this is what we are building our way to more and more destruction 
Yes, definitely. And and perhaps to to finish um, this conversation, it's worth reflecting on a phrase we use, the tree of life. Mm-hmm. And, and I saw that um, you referenced one of your designs as a tree. And I wondered if you could share what your values are in that idea of designing um, a place or a building in terms of a tree? Well, uh, before I before I talk more about this design, I, I should I should say that I'm against symbolism. So I don't like to symbolize uh, uh, something and, you know, start from the symbol because I think it's uh, it deviates uh, the building or the 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 target of architecture from its own from from the principles we were talking about you just you know it it sets the boundaries uh, uh on on uh, on a whole different target it's just you know it becomes revolving as if it's you know as if it's uh, a painting or or a graphic uh, a graphic design uh, um picture it's just you know it's it's not what architecture is around i mean architecture again it's um, i would use here uh, Roger Scruton's uh, term is it's, it's an experience, which you know I read about in his book Aesthetics of Architecture. It, architecture is an experience, and for it to become an experience, uh, we cannot start from symbolism. Uh, so I didn't start from in my own design. I, I have started from from the tree. I ended up <laughs> with the tree, and. Uh, tree is a very interesting concept by the way you have tree of life you have word trees you have the, so in in language in in in, in stories in in literature in um it's 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 very uh, it's a very a prin- fundamental a principle uh, concept in, in human life you know the the trunk and the branches and, and the fruits and the leaves uh, and the root of course so it's it's a very it's a very interesting concept and encompassing uh, by the way concept uh i in my design i started uh i want i started from the the problem which is uh growth so in the old city the reason people were demolishing self-demolishing their houses by the way they were just demolishing their houses their you know they would be 300 years old house and they would demolish it because it's it it no longer fits again it's about dynamic beauty uh it's beautiful it's uh something that they love but they no longer able to live in it they have families the bigger families and they needed growth and for that they demolished the house and built it um uh, a block building instead it just to, to fit you know you have your three children you have three stories and they or each one will have a house uh, or flat uh, so i started from the problem which is growth and i wanted to um to maintain uh what mattered for people which is courtyard house and it was in specific area where i did the research about uh, the history and, and and the economy and the uh, uh, sociological uh, also history of that area and um i ended up with one pattern that i wanted to 
to build up on. So the court out, uh, courtyard house uh, in that sense needed to grow and uh, all each there is uh, the element of privacy here. So no courtyard should overlook the other courtyard, which was uh, very important for, for the design to work, to be acceptable. And uh, from that, I uh, I ended up with 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 what looked like a tree. It's, it's not. It doesn't look like a tree. It, it does. It, what I say, it, it does what trees do, which is growth. It it can be, it can grow uh, architecturally. So uh, it can grow up uh, in in also in a pattern way. So it's not a random grow growth. Sorry. And uh, they the 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 one block could. Uh, could be mirrored in in four directions, and in that sense, it can be it can unfold, and in that uh, meaning, it can urbanly grow and establish growth. And for me, it just you know, that was the 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 thinking behind the concept of tree. Thank you so much for for talking that through, because clearly everything you're saying is far deeper than symbolism, and and that idea of of growth in relation to humanity hope and peace uh it is just so important um to hear and and to share and and to aspire to mara i can't thank you enough for making this time today i know you're only just back from co-directing the brighton festival and thank you very much for what you did with the ruac in hove thank you for everything you're doing you, you are a, a wonderful person and, and a wonderful inspiration i i can't thank you enough for making time to talk to me too thank you mara by the way paula yeah. these are very very interesting very good questions i thoroughly enjoyed the conversation so thank you so much Thank you, Mara, and take good care.